Father, we do confess with that song that you are a holy God, and we are here to worship you and to acknowledge that that is who you are. Lord, help us not to come with other ideas about who you are. Uh, help us to always be informed by your word as to who it is we are coming to worship. Lord, help us to come um, with hearts uh, full of faith and full of the fear of the Lord, not not experiencing terror, but a holy awe that even produces trembling um, as one would approach a volcano. Lord, we are approaching you who, de who Scripture describes to be a consuming fire. And the only reason that we can come at all is because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished on the cross. Lord, you spoke to the Israelites when you descended upon Mount Sinai and uh, cloud and fire and thunder and lightning, and you said if anybody touches that mountain, they will die. But Lord, we can come not only onto the mountain, but right up into your throne room. Um, and it's not because we are better people than the Israelites were. It's because we have a Savior who has washed us clean by the blood that he spilled to pay for our sins because of the righteous, faultless life he lived that we are now clothed with, Lord. We are clothed with his righteousness, and so we can come to the holy God and worship without fear of being consumed because for those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation for them. So we thank you that we can come and sing your praises, Lord. Um, but let us never become too familiar. Let us always remember you are the holy God. Uh, you are the one before whom the Apostle John fell down like a dead man when he saw the exalted Christ. Help us never to forget that that is who we are coming before. May we always come with humility, Lord, willing um, to be taught by you. Um, and we pray that that would happen this morning as we come to your word. We pray for any who are here who don't know Christ yet, that you would open their eyes. We pray that you would bring them to an understanding of what Jesus did to save sinners, how he is risen from the dead and he stands ready to receive them if they would come to him in faith. Lord, may they come to him by faith even today. Lord, we pray for those of us who do know you that, that we would know you better, that we would be conformed to the image of your son, we pray. May you accomplish this through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you could open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're looking at verses 4 through 11 this morning. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 11, and I'll read it as you're turning there. Paul writes, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries, and the same Lord. And there are varieties of workings, but the same God who works everything in every one. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what is profitable. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to someone else faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the workings of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to someone else various kinds of tongues, and to another the translation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, 
distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. When it comes to the matter of spiritual gifts, there is a lot of confusion in the church today. And much of this confusion flows out of our ignorance of what the spiritual gifts are and why they are given to us. Too often we view spiritual gifts through the lens of our own gift-giving culture. You know, we receive gifts at Christmas time. Many of us receive gifts for our birthday. And every time we receive those gifts, those gifts are usually intended for you to use on who? Yourself, like a box of candy. How dare anybody even begin to think that they can help themselves to your box of Reese's peanut butter cups? That's, yes. <laughs> That's how we view gifts today. We use them on ourselves, not on others. I will not give my peanut butter cups away. I will eat them myself. Our confusion about the gifts also flows from our prideful tendency to measure our status in this world by our possessions. If I have a big house and a fancy car, those are status symbols that communicate to others that I've made it, I'm successful, and if you don't have that, well, you're not quite as good as I am. We can carry that mindset into the church and think that if I have this certain giftedness and I have this certain ministry and I have this certain effectiveness in the church, then I've made it spiritually and I'm better than you. That leads us to exalt certain gifts above others in a way that creates second and third classes within the church. There are those who are very gifted and there are those who are not so gifted. The very gifted are the lifeblood of the church and those who are not so gifted ought to thank their lucky stars that the very gifted are here to rescue them. But all of that is a perversion of what the spiritual gifts are and why the Lord has given them to us. I want you to recall the two bookends of these chapters. Chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, Now concerning spiritual gifts or spiritual persons, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. The key words there are spiritual, pneumatikos, and ignorant, agnaeo. We saw these same two words over in chapter 14, starting in verse 37. If anyone thinks he is a prophet or a pneumatikos, a spiritual person, spiritual one, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. But if anyone remains ignorant, agnaeo, or some of your translations may say, if anyone doesn't recognize this, it means to be without knowledge, if anyone, after Paul has gone through these three chapters, remains ignorant about spiritual things, Paul says he is ignored. He's to be ignored. Because that is a willful ignorance. So, in these three chapters, Paul is seeking to remove this pride-induced ignorance about true spirituality. We saw that ignorance in John chapter 9, the Pharisees. Their pride had induced blindness into their hearts so that they could not recognize the Savior. And our passage this morning, verses 4 through 11, is going to help remove any pride-induced ignorance that may have begun to build up in our own hearts and minds. In this passage, we're going to draw three applications 
that will humble us, that will give us a humble attitude and will help us to use our spiritual gifts properly. It will help us to glorify the giver rather than ourselves. So first, first application that we're going to draw is from verses 4 through 6, and it's this. We are to value the gifted. We must value our brothers and sisters in the church who are gifted. Now, how do I get that application out of these three verses? Well, let's see. Just a, a note on the Corinthians. Because of their propensity to elevate their own status, the Corinthians were likely getting hung up on the showy gifts, specifically the gifts of tongues, which we'll see in chapter 14. Paul spends so much time telling them about how to properly exercise this gift and where this gift lies in terms of its helpfulness compared to other gifts that it suggests that this was the thing that they were fixating on, the gift of tongues. They seem to think that the showier your gift, the more spiritual you were. But when we studied verse 3 in chapter 12 last week, we saw that Paul struck down that line of thinking. Because what did he say in chapter 3? No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That means that every single person who sincerely confesses that Jesus is Lord is indwelt by who? The Holy Spirit. And that means that all believers are equally spiritual. If you confess that Jesus is Lord, you are a spiritual one. You are spiritual. You're spiritually alive. All believers are equally spiritual. Now, not all believers are equally mature, but all believers are equally spiritual. All believers have equal value before the cross of Christ. All believers are equally alive. All are equally saved. All have an equal citizenship in the kingdom of God. There are no second-class citizens in the church. Because God dwells in every believer, not just the tongue speakers, every believer. So the measure of someone's spirituality, that is the measure of someone's spiritual life in the church, is not what gift they have, but who it is that dwells inside of them. Paul makes this clear in these three verses, verses 4 through 6. Let me read those again. He says, now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. And there are varieties of workings, but the same God who works everything in every one. Paul's making clear here that tongue speaking was not the only gift. Tongue speaking was not the only indicator that someone possessed the Holy Spirit, that someone was baptized in the Holy Spirit. In fact, there are many gifts many ministries, and many effects, but it is the same God who is bringing all of it about. So, the tongue speaker in the Corinthian church should not have been looking down his nose at the person who was gifted with hospitality, for, for example. Why not? Because it was the same Spirit, the same Lord Jesus, the same God the Father who was working in both of them. They were equally indwelt, equally baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul will say in verse 13 of this chapter. Verse 13 says, For also 
by one spirit, we were all, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Not just some, all of us, all believers. Notice in these three verses the diversity that is expressed here. There are varieties of gifts, varieties of ministries, and varieties of workings. And notice also the unity that is expressed in these three verses. The same Spirit, the same Lord, and the same God. Our God is diverse in the sense that he is three persons, not just one person. He is Father, He is Son, and He is Holy Spirit. He's diverse, but He's also a unity in the sense that He is one being. We don't worship three gods, we worship one God. Three persons sharing the same essence. And God has designed the makeup of the church in such a way that it is reflective of His own nature. Because as the church, we are the one body of Christ. One body. And yet, we are all gifted in different ways. And we use those gifts in different areas of service. And some of us are more effective than others. There are varying levels of effectiveness from person to person. And it is our triune God who is orchestrating all of that. No two of us are the same. And that's how God has designed it. And these differences that we have between one another, these shouldn't fuel competition between one another. Rather, we should celebrate that because it is reflective of who our great God is. I don't know if you've ever gone to listen to a symphony, but if you have, imagine sitting through that. That's difficult for some of you to sit through already. But imagine if it was just 30 trumpets playing the same part for an hour. You'd be pulling your hair out by the end of that. What makes a symphony beautiful and majestic is when you have all these different instruments playing all these different parts, and the composer has so designed that symphony that they all blend together and they all build up to one beautiful sound. You and I are the instruments, and God is the composer. And he has fitted us all together as a church, just as he desired. And the glory goes to him, not to us. Now, how does this lead to this application? The application is this. You and I should highly value every other believer in this room. Why? Because the same Holy Spirit, the same Lord Jesus, the same God the Father who has caused you personally to confess Jesus as Lord and who has given you personally a gift and a ministry and a degree of effectiveness, that same triune God dwells in your brothers and sisters in Christ as well. That same God has given them gifts. He's given them ministries. He's given them a certain level of effectiveness. To look down your nose at them and to think that you are better because you think you have a better gift or a more impactful ministry, that is a gross sin of pride. Does an instrument play itself? No. Should you be taking credit for anything that the Lord accomplishes through you? No. 
And chances are that if you think you're something special, God is probably not using you quite the way you think he is. I love a quote from Charles Spurgeon. He said, Some trumpets are so stuffed with self that God cannot blow through them. I'll let that sink in. Some trumpets are so stuffed with self that God cannot blow through them. We must consider one another as more important than ourselves. We must be selfless. We must value one another. Let me ask you another question. The church is God's symphony. Has God made a mistake in his composition of this symphony, this church? To look down at your nose or to look down your nose at your brother or sister in Christ is to greatly insult the composer, the God who's put this symphony together. He's placed that brother or sister right where he wants them to be, and he's gifted them right how he wanted them to be gifted, and he's done it for good reason. We have to be careful to remember that spiritual gifts are just that. They're gifts. You did not deserve them. You did not earn them. So don't be proud of yourself on account of your giftedness. And remember that your brother or sister who you look down on is a gift to you that you don't deserve. Be thankful for them. So we should value one another because the triune God is dwelling inside of them through his Holy Spirit and he has gifted them to build you up. So value one another. That brings us to the second application we can pull out of these verses and we see that in verses 7 through 10 and it's this we are to honor the giver not ourselves we're to honor the giver the one who's bestowed these gifts upon us and how do we honor him we honor him by using our gifts for the purpose for which he gave them to us look at verse 7 paul says but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what is profitable. It says to each one is given. Each one. We have all been given gifts. If you have come to Christ for salvation, God has given you a gift. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. I want to show you a couple other passages that teach that all believers have received a gift. Ephesians 4 Verse 7, Paul says there, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. To each one of us. Also look at 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. First Peter 4, verse 10. Peter says, As each one has received a gift, employ it in serving one another. Each one. So we all have gifts. And many people ask, What is my gift? I'm a Christian. I confess with my whole heart that Jesus is Lord. What is my gift? How do I find out what my gift is? Well, first of all, we have to know what a spiritual gift is. And we have to know why we have it before we can figure out what exactly it is. First, what is a spiritual gift? 
Back in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, that verse tells us, according to verse 7, a spiritual gift is the manifestation of the Spirit. It's a certain way in which the Holy Spirit chooses to manifest himself through you or to disclose himself or reveal himself to the church through you. That's what a spiritual gift is. Second, why do we have spiritual gifts? Verse 7 again. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what is profitable or what is helpful or for the common good. Our gifts are for the church, for one another. I want you to remember what the ministry of the Holy Spirit is. A lot of times we come to church and we think the ministry of the Spirit is simply to help us entertain one another or do great and mighty things to wow one another, like a fireworks show or a movie theater. That's not what the church is. That's not what the ministry of the Holy Spirit is. Turn with me again to John chapter 16. Because there we saw last week what the Holy Spirit's ministry is. What does the Holy Spirit want to use us to accomplish? What does he want to use us to accomplish? Look at John 16, starting in verse 8. And he, speaking of the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Ministry of the Spirit is to convict the world. Verse 12, I still have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Ministry of the Holy Spirit is to guide us into truth. For he will not speak from himself, but whatever he hears he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is not to glorify us, but to glorify Christ. For he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He convicts the world he guides us into the truth. He glorifies Christ. So the Holy Spirit, when Paul speaks of gifts as the manifestation of the Spirit, what is he talking about? He's talking about how the Holy Spirit wants to use you to bring glory to Christ. How he wants to use you to build up other believers in the truth of who Christ is. How the Holy Spirit wants to use you to reach the lost with the convicting gospel. So what is a spiritual gift? Your spiritual gift is the particular way in which the Holy Spirit is pleased to use you to glorify Christ, to reach the lost, and to build up other believers. Let me say that again. Your spiritual gift, whatever it is, is the particular way in which the Holy Spirit is pleased to use you to glorify Christ, to reach the lost, and to build up other believers. So that's what a spiritual gift is. And that is why God gives them to us. 
when we're saved. But how can I discover mine? Well, given what a spiritual gift is, that it's the manifestation of the Spirit for what is profitable to others, you're probably not going to be able to figure it out by sitting at home and filling out a what is my spiritual gift test. That's probably not how you're going to discover it. If you are not connected with the body of Christ, if you are not placing yourself in a position to serve others, you are probably never going to come to any kind of accurate conclusion about what your spiritual gift is. Because how am I going to know if I can teach if I don't ever mingle with other believers and attempt to apply God's word to their lives? How am I going to know that I'm gifted with hospitality if I never invite someone over for a meal? How will I know that I am gifted in evangelism if I never try to share the gospel with someone? How will I know whether or not I am gifted to serve if I don't show up to help with the church's outreach events? Not only that, but even if you do figure out what your spiritual gift is, if you are not seeking to serve in fellowship with other believers, then it's pointless to know what it is because you're not using it for the purpose for which God gave it to you, which is to serve others in the body of Christ. You find out what your gift is by serving, by doing the one another's that the scriptures commands us to do. If we're not striving to spend time with one another, worshiping together, serving together, praying together, then we are robbing one another of the benefit of our gift. We are robbing one another of that special expression of the Holy Spirit that each one of us brings to the table. And the result is this, that Christ is not being glorified as much as he should be. And the lost are not being reached as much as they could be. And our brothers and sisters in Christ are not being built up as much as they need to be. We all need each other. And if one of us isn't here, then to that same degree, we are not seeing Christ exalted. We are not seeing the lost reached. We are not seeing one another built up because we are lacking the manifestation of the Spirit coming through your life. You discover what your gifting is by just looking at where God has placed you in the body. We'll see later in this chapter that God has placed each member in the body of Christ right where he desires. So just look at where you are and look at what opportunities are in front of you to serve and take advantage of those opportunities. Not to lift up yourself or to make a name for yourself, but for the sake of glorifying Christ, for the sake of reaching the lost, for the sake of building up your brothers and sisters in Christ. And as you serve, as you take advantage of opportunities to serve, you will discover what the Holy Spirit is making you effective at. You will discover what he's giving you a desire for. And not only that, you will have other believers observing you serve, and they will encourage you. They'll say, hey, that is really helpful. Keep doing that, and you'll discover what your gifting is. And even if you never figure out what your gift is, you don't know what label to slap on it, as long as you are faithful to keep fellowshipping with and serve others, you can be sure that you are using your gift, even if you don't know what it is. Because God is sovereign over where he's placed you. 
And God will see to it that your gift is not being wasted, even if you don't know what to call it. In verses 8 through 10, Paul gives several examples of what these gifts are. And he probably gives this list to make the point to the Corinthians that tongue speaking was not the only spiritual gift. It's not Paul's purpose to give an in-depth analysis of all the gifts in these chapters. We'll often come to these chapters to get more information about what certain gifts are, and we'll come away sometimes not knowing a lot more than, than what we did before. But that's because that's not the purpose of these chapters. We have to remember that Paul is writing to a congregation who had all the gifts. They probably knew what the gifts are. Paul didn't need to go through and give a textbook definition of what these things were. Why is he writing to them? He's writing to them not because they're ignorant of what the gifts are. He's writing to them because they're ignorant of the purpose of those gifts. They're ignorant of how to use those gifts to build up the body. They're ignorant of the equal status of all believers regardless of what their gifts are. That's what he's addressing in these chapters. So, you know, as I go through these gifts, you're probably going to leave with a, a little bit of disappointment that you don't know a whole lot more than you did when you came in. But just remember, that's, that's not the purpose of these chapters here. This is not a complete list of the gifts. There are several more gifts that are specified in Scripture. Some of those are service, teaching, exhortation, giving, leading, mercy, helps, administration, the gift of evangelist, the gift of being an apostle. And each of the lists of Scripture are clearly not meant to be exhaustive because each of the lists lack gifts that show up in other lists. So there may even be gifts that are not listed in the Scriptures. But we're going to go through this list here in verses 8 through 10. And as we go through these gifts, you're going to see a variety of gifts. And yet, you're also going to see that the same Holy Spirit is the one giving them. No believer with a certain gift is superior to any other believer with a different gift because both individuals were given undeserved gifts by the same Holy Spirit. Let's walk through these gifts briefly here. Verse 8, Paul says, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Now just based on the terms themselves, it's clear that these gifts have to do with the communication of wisdom and knowledge. And Paul's talked a lot about wisdom and knowledge in this letter. Wisdom and knowledge regarding the gospel of Christ. And so these gifts of a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge, they may have been closely associated with the other gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, teacher, because those individuals are proclaiming and teaching knowledge and wisdom that is found in the gospel. It's hard to say more than that because there's not a lot of detail given here. Verse 9, Paul says, To someone else, faith is given by the same Spirit, and to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. 
Now, the gift of faith, that's clearly different than saving faith because every believer has saving faith. But this is talking about a specific gift given to some, not to everyone. So most commentators take this gift of faith to mean an extra measure of faith that may enable the individual to act in a way that he or she couldn't otherwise. Paul refers to this gift, it seems, in chapter 13. And verse 2, he speaks in an exaggerated, hyperbolic way. Halfway through that verse, he says, And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains. The commentator Mark Taylor says regarding this gift, quote, Paul must have in mind a particular kind of faith that believes God for extraordinary things or a faith that guides the church through exceptional circumstances, unquote. That's the gift of faith. The gifts of healing, they're pretty obvious to us. We think back to the ministry of Jesus, the ministry of the apostles, and how they exhibited this gift by healing many people. Verse 10 of chapter 12, Paul goes on, and to another, the workings of miracles. This is a broader category of gift than the gifts of healing. This would be the ability to do any other kind of miracle that you can think of in addition to healing. Paul goes on. He says, and to another, prophecy. What's the gift of prophecy? Well, what is a prophecy? It's a message delivered by someone who has received a direct revelation by God. A prophecy is an inspired message by God himself. God breathed. And to another, the distinguishing of spirits, Paul says. This may refer to the ability to discern whether or not someone is a true prophet or a false prophet, or to discern maybe the prophecy that they're giving, whether or not that is truly from God. Then lastly, Paul lists to someone else various kinds of tongues and to another the translation of tongues. This was the ability to speak another language that one had not learned previously. We see this gift in operation in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Remember, Jews from around the world have gathered to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast and their native language having grown up in those other countries was different than the Galilean disciples. And yet the Holy Spirit gave utterance to these Galilean disciples to speak of the mighty works of God in the language of those who were visiting so that those who were visiting were shocked to see these Galileans speaking in their native tongue. That's the gift of tongues. The translation of tongues would obviously be the supernatural ability to translate the message of a person exercising the gift of tongues, translating it so that it would benefit others, so they know what the person's talking about. And I'll go more in depth on the gifts of prophecy and tongues when we get to chapter 14. Because our gifts are given to us for the good of the whole church, we dishonor the Holy Spirit when we refuse to use our gifts for edifying the church. When we keep our gifts to ourselves by cutting ourselves off from the life of the church, or when we use our gifts to lift up ourselves 
We dishonor the Holy Spirit when we think that others have nothing to offer the church, when we think that we are more of God's gifts to the church than they are. We dishonor the Holy Spirit when we think that their gifts are not important, not useful, or not necessary. We also dishonor the Holy Spirit when we think that we ourselves have nothing to offer the church, like the Lord made a mistake somehow in the gift he gave us, that he should have given us a different gift. But we insult the composer when we are having that attitude. He makes no mistakes. He gave you the gift he did for a reason. So we are to honor the giver with the gifts that he's given us. Now, I just wanted to break away to give you a little mini-sermon in the middle of this sermon because I know on people's minds is the controversial question of whether or not certain ones of these gifts are still being given by the Holy Spirit today. Well, I'm not addressing that today. I will address that in another message at some point during our travels through these chapters, but I'm not going to get to it today. But just to prepare you for when I do get to it, I want to say this. That when we, when we get to that sermon, I don't want you to ever change what you believe simply based on what I or any other person behind this pulpit says. If I teach through that and you find that I am going against what the Bible teaches, then you reject what I say. You must reject what I say. You have to hold to what the Bible says, period. You have to be good Bereans every time I stand up here and preach to you or anybody else. You have to go to the scriptures yourselves and determine for yourselves what does this mean. But if you see that the scripture contradicts what you believe, then you must believe God's word rather than your preconceived notions. Even when your own personal experience seems to contradict God's word, you are obligated to believe God's word over your experience because you and I are not infallible interpreters of our own experience. God is. So we go to his word to discern what was that that just happened to me. We go to his word. We don't just go off on our own and form our own doctrines about what that was. Because if we begin to walk by our experience rather than by the word of God, we will be led astray and we will put others in spiritual danger. You will become someone that the devil can easily just wrap around his finger and move you like a puppet on strings because the devil can give you wonderful experiences. If he wants to, he can make you feel great because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen that the devil comes as what? An angel of light. We need to remember to trust God more than ourselves. What does Romans chapter 3, verse 4 say? Let God be true and every man a liar. Let God be true. So just keep that in mind for when we get to those messages. The third application we draw from verse 11, and it's this. Be humbly content with your gift. Be humbly content with your gift. Don't think you're better than others 
and don't become jealous of others. In verse 11, Paul says, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. Despite all the variety in what gifts are allotted to what believer, it is the same Holy Spirit who is distributing each gift to each person. It is his sovereign will, not our personal merit, that determines what gifts we get, what ministry is handed to us, what degree of effectiveness shows up in our lives. I want you to turn back with me to chapter 7. That was the marriage chapter, but Paul uses very similar language in that chapter. 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 7. Paul there says, Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. What was Paul? Single. He had the gift of celibacy. However, each man has his own gift from God, one this way and another that. And look at verse 17. There Paul says, Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner let him walk. And so I direct in all the churches. There Paul was calling every believer to be content with the marital state in which they found themselves because it was God who had placed them there. That was their assignment for the time being. If they were single, their assignment was singleness for that period of their life. If they were married, that was their assignment from God. If they were saved in a married state, they were to stay in that state and serve God there. They were to bloom where God had planted them. And it's the same thing in chapter 12. Your gift is the Lord's assignment to you to serve him, especially that way. That doesn't mean if I don't have the gift of hospitality, I don't have to be hospitable to people. Or if I don't have the gift of evangelism, I don't have to share the gospel with people. No, we're required to do those things. But there are certain ways in which the Lord has especially streamlined us to be able to serve him most effectively in. And we ought to pursue doing that. The Holy Spirit has sovereignly bestowed a certain giftedness upon you. And remember, it's a gift, so you have no grounds for boasting about it. The Holy Spirit gave it to you by his grace. You didn't earn it. There's a reason it's called a gift. You are also not to become jealous over what he's given to others. Saying, boy, I wish I had that gift instead of this junky gift that the Lord gave me. You are to be thankful for the gift he's given you. And you are to endeavor to serve him with that gift. You must strive to glorify Christ, to reach the lost, and to serve your brothers and sisters in Christ with the gift or the gifts that God has given you. Do not disobey Christ by refusing to serve others. Do not rob them of the blessing that God would give to them through your service. I want to close with reading 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. First Peter chapter 4, verse 7. Peter writes, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be of sound thinking and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. 
Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, employ it. That's a command. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Our gift is a stewardship entrusted to us. It's a talent that he expects us to invest so that we will have more to give to him when he returns and takes an account of what we've done with it. And it's described as the manifold grace of God, all these different expressions of God's grace at work in our lives. And then he gives some examples. Whoever speaks as one speaking the oracles of God, whoever serves as one serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things, who may be glorified? God. So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and might forever and ever. Amen. You were given certain gifts by God's Spirit when you repented of your sins and you trusted Christ. And you are not to use those gifts to glorify yourself. You are to use them to glorify your Savior, who alone is worthy. May God help us to do just that. Let's pray.